0: taking time from your afternoon schedule. I know that uh, pastor said you've never done a service in the afternoon before. You've noticed everybody is trying to figure out if it's evening, afternoon, uh, you know, what it is. And uh, so, who knows? But uh, thank you for uh, staying and enjoying some fellowship and then uh, being right in this service tonight. And, uh, you know, the Bible says the faithful man shall abound with blessing. And a lot of times we pray, Lord bless me, Lord bless my family, bless our church, bless pastor, bless this, bless that, and we need it, we want it, but God says I can if you'll be faithful, and the faithful man abounds with blessing, and as you'll make faithfulness a pattern in your life, even when sometimes pastor will kind of switch things up and you'll go, oh man. You know, I've got to go in the afternoon or I've got to go an off night or whatever. Uh, if we're faithful to what uh, God has in our life, he'll bless that and use you in a great way. And it's certainly a privilege to be here and a wonderful thing to see most of these chairs filled again this afternoon. And I know, know you had a great service this morning. And uh, we're praying that God will continue to bless uh, new life here in Rancho Vista in a great way. Well, take your Bible. Let's go to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And I want you to keep your Bible open, if you will, because uh, we're going to read just a couple of verses at the beginning of this chapter, and then we'll kind of dive into the rest of the story here in a moment. But John chapter 21, and beginning with verse 1. It says, After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go fishing. I go fishing. About three years prior to this, Jesus was walking by this same Sea of Galilee. Here it's called the Sea of Tiberias, same body of water. And in Mark chapter 1, as Jesus walked past the shoreline there, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, cast in a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus saith unto them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And now for these three years, Peter, along with eleven others, have followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Now just think for a minute about what they had experienced. These were just common men. These were ordinary men, hardworking men. They had different occupations, different personalities. They were, they were different in many ways, but they all now have followed the Lord for these three-some years. They have watched Jesus do some amazing miracles. You think about the fact that these disciples had a front-row seat when Jesus walked on water. Uh, these disciples were there when Jesus took five loaves and two small fishes and, and broke them and fed 5,000 men plus the women and children. And when everybody was full, they gathered up 12 baskets of leftovers. They saw that. They were there when Jesus touched the eyes of the blind and suddenly that person could see. He touched the ears of the deaf and they could hear. He, he raised people back to life that had been dead. They were there. And they heard Jesus preach over and over and over again. And the disciples had the unique opportunity after Jesus preached to say, Lord, uh, declare unto us the parable. Lord, we didn't get it. We, we, we didn't quite understand what you were driving at there. Could you, could you open our understanding? And Jesus would sit down and oftentimes he would give a little postscript to the preaching. He would help them to understand. Why? Because he was training them. He was mentoring them in their life as a disciple. These men have seen some amazing things. They've heard some amazing things. But now, all of a sudden, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, if you said that tomorrow to your wife or to your uh, husband, or family, or whatever you said, I'm going fishing. You'd mean, well, I'm going to take a break. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a day off. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get some R and R. I'm gonna throw a hook in the water and see what happens. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just relax. But that's not what Peter meant. When Peter said, "I'm going fishing," he said, "I'm going back to what I was doing before the Lord called me. I'm done. I'm out." I'm tired, I'm frustrated. This isn't going like I thought it would. And so I'm going back to my old life. You're going to notice something, that whenever God is at work, the devil is always working to undo whatever God is doing. When you get saved... Boy, the devil immediately puts some pressure on, doesn't he? When you take a, a minute and make a decision for Christ and you say, you know what, I'm going to start reading my Bible or I'm going to start a prayer list or I'm going to start going to church on Sunday night or I'm going to start witnessing or I'm going to start giving in the offering. Whatever it is that God leads you to do in your Christian journey and walk, you can be sure that the minute you make that decision, the devil's painting a big target on your back. and He's going to come after you. Because the devil is always trying to undo whatever God is doing. Now as we look at this passage of scripture that's about to unfold in front of us, we find three very tense moments in this account. The first tense moment is found in this early part of the chapter, and we see a love of self. Peter says in verse 3, I go fishing. I go fishing. Peter is building what I call the me idol. You know, we don't worship idols, do we? We don't bow down to wooden statues or stone gods as a Baptist. But sometimes we have our own idols, don't we? And the number one idol we are we are tempted to build is that me idol you know we don't like people to tamper with the bible we don't like a lot of these modern translations that just kind of chop up the bible and take away the real meaning of it but you know sometimes we have our own translation we like to translate it this way not thy will but mine be done you know i delight to do my will O god Order my steps in my will, and let not thy word have any dominion over me. You know, we like to to build the me idol. And the me idol leads to the me influence. Did you notice it there in verse 3? Peter said, I go fishing. They, referring to the disciples mentioned in verse 2, they say unto him, we also go with thee. You know, if we're not careful, we tend to think, well, hey, it's my life, I can live however I want to. I mean, it's mine. I I can make my own decisions. I know what makes me happy. I know what I need to be fulfilled. And so, it's my life, I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I'm going to go this way. But remember something, you have influence. And when you make a decision, you influence your family. You influence those who know you in your sphere of influence. Peter is making a a decision for himself here. I go fishing. He's he's building the me idol. But the me idol leads to the me influence. Which leads to the me inability. rest of verse 3. I go fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. Now these men were professional fishermen. Most of these that are listed here, before they followed Christ, they had been fishers of this Sea of Galilee hundreds of times. They knew where those schools of fish would be at that hour of the night. They knew how to throw the nets out. They knew how to draw them in. These men were expert fishermen. But that night they caught nothing. We might think, hey, I don't, I don't really need God. I don't really need the church. I can miss a service. I, they, 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 it'll be okay. I don't need to read my Bible every day. I don't need to really pray and trust God. I can live my life however. And you know what? God's not going to force you to do anything. But he tells us, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. He doesn't say, without me, you can do a little bit. <laughs> without me, you can do some things. No, no, he said, without me, you can do nothing. John said in John 3, verse 27, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. We are not sufficient of ourselves, Paul said, to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Here's the love of self. But notice, secondly, a lesson on surrender. I love verse 4. It says, but. And that's a very important conjunction word, isn't it? Kind of changes the story immediately. But, when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. You know, the Lord sometimes lets us go our way for a night. We think, hey, I'm out, I'm done, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm just frustrated, I'm going to go back, and it's so much easier to, to, to not live for God, and I'm just going to give up. And, and the Lord, He'll let us go. But in the morning, He'll be right where you left Him. Right? I mean, these disciples, they shipped out. I mean, they're going out. They're going to fish that night. And, and they go out, and all night they fished. But when they finally came to their senses in the morning, Jesus was right where they left Him. We see a distant presence. The, the Jesus was standing on the shore, but they couldn't discern Him. They didn't know for sure who it was. Perhaps there was a marine layer, a fog. Perhaps it was still kind of dark and misty. And they looked and they, they saw a figure there, but they weren't sure who it was. It was a distant presence. You know, if we're not careful, we can get away from the Lord. The songwriter wrote, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And if we're not careful, we start putting distance between us and God, and the devil brings other things of focus into our life, and pretty soon God is so far away, we're not even sure if he's in our life anymore. But notice a discerning perception. In verse number 5, Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, the one writing this, saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. Here was a discerning perception. John said, Peter, nobody could have done a miracle like we just saw except the Lord. You know, it's hard to completely deny God. We we might say, hey, I'm going my way. I don't care about God. I don't care about serving God. And and we just kind of chalk things up in our life to maybe happenstance or circumstance. And we say, well, it would have happened anyway. That wasn't really God. But we know better. Because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Listen, you can try to get away from God, but He's still there. And we see a divine power. He says, cast the net on the right side, in verse 6, and ye shall find. And they cast, therefore, now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he gird his fishers coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. A divine power. I mean, these men, professional fishermen, had fished all night, and they caught nothing. And all Jesus had to do was speak the word, and the net was full of fish. You know, God can do more in a word than we can do with all of our activity in a lifetime. A divine power. I've heard it once, yea, twice have I spoken this, that power belongeth unto God. Here's a divine power instantly at His word. This net is filled with fish, and He gives us a specific number here, 150 and 3. Now, I find that curious because a lot of times in the Bible, God uses rounded-off numbers. For example, do you remember how many people were saved on the day of Pentecost? 3,000? Acts 2.41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Hmm. About 3,000. Now, don't you think the Holy Spirit knew how many God saved that day? I mean, He had to seal every one of them until the day of redemption. He had to enter into every one of them and indwell them, right? I mean, so he would have known the exact number, and he could have said 2,998. But he says about 3,000. By the way, I think there were more than 3,000, because the Holy Spirit would not embellish the number. We would have, right? We tend to exaggerate numbers. I don't know how many are here today. I would say, if someone asked, I, I would think there's about, I don't know, Pastor, about 300. I would think about 300, right? right? That's evangelistically speaking. By the way, why is it always evangelistically speaking? Do pastors never exaggerate? Why do not people say it's pastorally speaking when we exaggerate? But it's always the evangelist, but that's okay. We can take it. But it's about 3,000. In the Old Testament, when God talks about the wealth of someone like Abraham or Solomon or, or Job, he tells us Job had 5,000 camels and 5,000 sheep and, you know, and, and 5,000 she-asses. And you're thinking, really? Five th- exactly? I mean, I grew up on a farm. The number of animals on a farm is kind of fluid, especially if you have 5,000 of something, you know? I mean, it's not like... You know, they don't die, they're not born. I mean, I was at a, I was at a men's retreat about a year ago and uh, they, they held this men's retreat out on a sheep ranch. And I was there less than 48 hours, 19 lambs were born while I was there. Every time I looked out the window, oh, there's another one. You know, they're just, they're just dropping, you know. So the number of animals is kind of fluid. But see, in the Old Testament, God's illustrating the wealth of these people and he's given us rounded off numbers. But here... He gives us an exact number, 150 and 3. So that makes my mind curious. Why? Why the specific number? Now, I don't know everything there is to know about this, but I know some people that do know a lot about this. And I'm told that if you take all the fish in the world's waters today, fresh water and salt water, take them all, you can trace every one of them back to 153 species of fish. Now, if that's true, this number becomes very significant that the Holy Spirit uses. God put 153 fish in that net. Why? Because months before, Jesus said to Peter, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. But now, a few hours before, Peter said, I'm done fishing for men. I'm going back to fishing for fish. And so God to draw his heart back to surrender does a great miracle through his power and puts 153 fish in that net to illustrate the fact that God wants somebody from every tribe, every nation, every people group, every language to be saved. You see he wants the whole world to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance This is good and acceptable in the sight of God who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Listen, God is not prejudiced. God is not biased. God doesn't say, well, I'm going to save some people there in Palmdale, but Lancaster, no, I don't care about them. That's kind of the way we think sometimes, right? Well, I'm a, I'm a, God, God doesn't say, well, I, I like people in America, but I don't care for people in India. No, 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 no. God wants all to be saved. He died for all. God so loved the world. And did you notice in the end of verse 11, there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Whenever you find fishermen in the Gospels, what are they always doing? Mending their nets. Right? Almost every story that involves fishermen in the New Testament, they're sitting there, they're mending their nets. Why? Because the nets were always breaking. As they would go out on these, uh, on these excursions to fish, they'd throw that net in the water, the water would soften the cloth, and they would set it out in the sun to dry, and it would, it would break, and so now they've got to mend the nets. It was a common practice between every fishing uh, ex- expedition they went on, they had to mend those nets, but not here. In this miracle, the net was completely filled with fish, but the net wasn't broken. Now, can I tell you something? When you do what God wants you to do, then that won't break. Listen, if God tells you to witness to your neighbors, then that won't break. If God tells you to start tithing, then that won't break. Young person, if God tells you, I want you to go into the ministry, The net won't break. Because faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it? God never asks his children to do anything that he does not provide the resources for it to be done. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, as a church... You're stepping out into, into some land, into a possible building. Guess what? The net's not going to break. Whatever God leads your pastor and you as a, as a congregation to do for him, the net is not going to break. We don't have to sit back and go, oh, I don't know about this. I don't, I don't know how we going to mend all these nets. No, when God's in it, the net doesn't break. Here's a lesson on surrender. But then we see finally a life of service. You know, when you get self out of the way, and you get surrendered to the Lord, it automatically leads to a life of service. And we see here a supreme preeminence starting in verse 15. By the time these disciples drag this net to the shore, Jesus has already cooked breakfast. He's got a fire going there, some fish on the fire, and they eat And the Bible says in verse 15, so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith to him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith to him, feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith to him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith to him, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. A supreme preeminence. Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, the Bible is a written document, right? This is not in video. It's the written Word of God. But if you're going to understand it, you're going to have to at times provide some video in your own mind. And this is one of those occasions. Because all you have here is words. So here they are. Picture this in your mind. Here's Jesus. He's sitting by this fire and these disciples around it. And Jesus focuses on Simon Peter and he says, Simon, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? That's all it says in the Bible in the written form, but you got to have some video here. Because what are the these? The video would reveal Jesus pointing at something, right? If somebody had been capturing this on their smartphone... Jesus would have been pointing at something when he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? So, so what are the these? Was, was he saying, Peter, uh, do you love me more than these guys? Do you love me more than these other disciples? Do you love me more than these? Was he pointing to some houses maybe that dotted the hillside around the Sea of Tiberias? Peter, do you love me more than these houses? Well, I don't know what you have in your video. I have in my video that he was pointing to the fish. They were still on the fire, or perhaps over on the deck of the boat, flopping in the nets. Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, he wasn't asking Jesus, or he wasn't asking Peter, do you love me better than fried fish? That wasn't the question. What he's asking him is, Peter, do you love me more than what this world has to offer you? Because a couple hours before, he said, I'm going fishing. And now he's come through this this lesson on surrender. And Jesus said, i got to know something, Peter. Do you love me more than what the world can offer you? Do you love me more than a job? Do you love me more than an income? Do you love me more than the praise of men? Do you love me more than these? A supreme preeminence. Following my sophomore and junior year in college, I did a summer internship at a church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It was called the Woodcrest Baptist Church. and I went up there and served as an intern, and and, uh, God was really good to me those summers. I was called to preach the first summer I was there, and the second summer God called me to evangelism. Those were very important summers in my life at that church. The end of that second summer came. I had one, one year left in college, my senior year, and I was going to be coming back to the college early because I was playing football, and the, the two-a-day training was going to begin two weeks before school actually started. So I would made all those arrangements to, to leave the internship and come back, and we had to be in by curfew on a Saturday night and go to services on Sunday and then start early morning, Monday morning, with, with football practice. Well, I got to thinking about my plans there, and I had been friends dating a girl that lived in Rockford, Illinois. Now, Rockford, Illinois is not exactly on a straight line from Minneapolis to Watertown, Wisconsin, where the college was that I attended, but it was sort of close. It's like only 180 miles out of the way. And it had been a long summer. I mean, we didn't live in the age of cell phones. We lived in the age of stamps. (laughs) It had been a long summer. And I I got to thinking about that. I thought, you know, if I left early on Saturday, I could drive down to Rockford and see that girl for a bit and still get up to the college by curfew. So I called her. I said, hey, uh, going back to college and... Wondered if I could maybe stop by, you know, and uh, talk to her dad. He said, Yeah, that'd be great. And so she invited some of her married siblings uh, to come back and uh, to come over, and we had a cookout in the backyard. It was great. Got there about noon. I left at 6, got there about noon. and We had a little cookout and just an enjoyable afternoon with her family. And We were kind of catching up, you know, from the summer. She had already graduated from college and was teaching in, the, in a Christian school there in her home church, living there at her parents' house and teaching in that Christian school. And so she was getting ready to start another year of teaching and I still had a year of college to go. And so we were kind of catching up, kind of comparing notes from the summer. You know how that is? just just having a good time. And it was getting close to where I needed to get on the road, get back to the college, and, and uh, we were sitting on the back of my car, on the trunk of my car, in the, in the driveway of 637 Atwood Avenue in Rockford, Illinois, and we were just talking. Her dad was still in the backyard cleaning the grill and putting it away, and, and some had already left and gone their way. But we were sitting on the back of my car, just, just talking, just normal conversation. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I mean out of left field. She looked at me and said, John, do you love me? <laughs> Whoa. We had been dating for three years but we had not used the L word yet. <laughs> and when she asked that question, I my mind began to spin i mean it, it, the gears began to turn but i wasn't coming up with any answers and and i'm trying to think what is the right answer to this you know do i love you I mean, I, I knew I still loved football. I mean, I was ready. Two a day starting the next morning. I, I love football. I couldn't wait for my senior year of football. This would be my 10th year of football. I, could, I, could, I couldn't wait for football. I love football. Did I love her? I, I don't know. I love dorm life. My parents sold the farm when I was a, a senior in high school, and, and, and so they moved into town, and they lived one mile from the, from the college I attended, and I lived in the dorm all four years. I loved it. it. wasn't that I didn't like my parents. I loved the dorm. I loved the camaraderie. I loved the horseplay. I loved the practical jokes. I loved it all. That's why I'm still stuck in a college, I guess. I don't know. I loved it. Did I love her? I And finally, after I'm sure what was a very awkward silence, I looked at her and I said, "Uh, I don't know. It wasn't exactly the answer she was looking for. (laughs) But God's asking us tonight do you love me? Do you love me more than these? I know you love your family, but you know what Jesus said? Your love for your family ought to look like hatred compared to your love for me. Supreme preeminence. I know you love your job. That's great. Do you love me? I know you love your church. It's wonderful. Do you love me? A supreme preeminence. And notice this supreme preeminence leads to a suffering people. Every time Peter responds with, yes, Lord, I love you. You know I love you. What does Jesus say? Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Friends, you cannot adore the shepherd and abhor the sheep. Don't, don't waste my time with this, well, I love the Lord, but I don't need to go to church. Well, I love the Lord, but I don't need to be around Christians. In fact, there's some Christians I can't stand. Whoa, 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 whoa. You say you love God, whom you've never seen, but you cannot love your brother, who you see every day. First John, God says, you're a liar. You don't love me. You see, our adoration for the shepherd leads... To our love for the sheep. And that supreme preeminence that leads to a suffering people leads finally to a single purpose. In verse number 18, and Jesus apparently is satisfied with Peter's response. And Jesus would have known his heart. He would have been able to see his motive when he said, I love you. And Jesus accepts it. It's apparently genuine. So look what Jesus says to him in verse 18. Verily, verily, I say unto you, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee with Now, Now that's a compound sentence. What in the world is he talking about? Well, he explains it in the next verse, verse 19. This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. Jesus said, Peter... When you were young, in fact, just a few hours ago, you went wherever you wanted to go. But if you love me, and you desire to serve me, you're going to die for me. Now God doesn't tell all of us that, but he told Peter that. He's predicting his martyrdom. You went wherever you wanted to go, but there's coming a day, Peter, if you love me and you're going to follow me, there's coming a day when somebody's going to carry you whither thou wouldest not. You're going to die for me. The historian Jerome records in Fox's Book of Martyrs that Peter was indeed martyred for his faith. Jerome states that Peter was led to the place of crucifixion. But when he arrived... He said, I am not worthy to be crucified in the same manner and form as my Lord. He thus requested that he be crucified upside down. And Jerome states, they crucified Simon Peter upside down, his head being downward, his feet upward on the cross. Boy, I guess Peter did love the Lord. And Peter seems fine with this. He doesn't say, yes, Lord, I love you, I love you, I I do, you know my heart, I love you. Okay, Peter, you're going to die for me. And Peter doesn't say, ooh, can I I change my mind? He's fine with it. But Peter is a lot like us. Because notice what happens next in verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, that's John, and said, Lord... Which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Isn't that like us? Okay, Lord, yeah, I love you. Okay, I'll serve you. Yes, I'm going to die for you. Uh, what's Pastor going to do? <laughs> right? That's just kind of part of who we are as humans. We, we, we you know, whatever God tells. Okay, yeah, fine. Uh, what's everybody else going to do? And look at God's response to Peter in verse twenty-two. Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Peter, don't worry about John. Get your eyes off John. Get your eyes off everybody else. Follow me. You know what? If we're not careful, we look at this culture, it discourages us. Sometimes we look at other Christians and we think, what in the world? You know what? God's not asking us to compare ourselves among ourselves. God is just speaking to our hearts individually in revival, and He says, Follow me. A single purpose, this one thing I do. I played my last football game the third week of November, it was in North Dakota. It was an away game at North Dakota State University. It was the coldest game I've ever played. (laughs) We drove up to this place and got there on a Friday night. It was raining, but the ground was already frozen from the cold temperatures that they'd had previously, and so the, the rain, when it would hit the ground, was just freezing. When we got up in the morning, everything was kind of a sheet of ice. Everything was coated in crystal, it seemed. It was still now sleeting. It was starting to fall below freezing. It was sleeting, half snowing. We go to the stadium to try to get warmed up, and I'm telling you, you just couldn't. I-, I could not get loose. I could not get warmed up, it seemed. When that game started, we were ill-prepared for what we were facing. We were not prepared for that kind of weather. We had never played in that bad of weather, we were not prepared for this team. And we got beat. We, we got beat by the weather, we got beat by this team. We got beat bad. My last game. And I always thought about what it would be like to play your last game of football. You know, you play 10 years, you, you think, what is it going to be like to finally hang this up? But I'll tell you, when that game ended, I was kind of glad it was over. <laughs> it had been a brutal game. We drove back to Wisconsin, and I remember that next Monday... We had to turn in our equipment and turn in our playbooks and all that by four o'clock Monday afternoon. And I remember after classes going to that locker room and cleaning out my pads and cleaning out my locker and getting the playbook and taking it into the coach's office. Had a little exit interview there, you know. And and in my mind, I'm thinking, "I'm, I'm glad this is over. I mean, it was a chapter of my life. I enjoyed every minute of it, but now it was coming to an end, and and I was thankful to be moving on. Oh, I'd still go back and play in the alumni game every year. I played till I was 44 years old. Played against my oldest son when he was in college. Got to hit him a couple times good. But anyway, I'd, I'd go back and play some tackle football. But, but, but you didn't have to go to two-a-days. You didn't have to go to the weight room. I mean, it was over. And I was really happy for that. Semester was almost done. A few weeks till final exams. My spring semester, I only needed... Uh, eight hours to graduate. It was going to give me a little more room, a little more margin in my life to be able to do a little more extension work, ministry work. And I was excited about that. Christmas was coming. And I thought about that girl again. So I called her. I said, hey, remember me? (laughs) She said, yes. What do you got in mind? I said, well, um, it's Christmas. And, uh, I've got some time off. You've got some time off from teaching, I'm sure, and wondered if you wanted to get together. She said, what do you have in mind? I said, well, I've made some arrangements for you to come up to Watertown. i got a place for you to stay and and I've got permission for us to go to the Fireside Inn. Now the Fireside Inn still there in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin, about 20 miles away. It was kind of an exclusive restaurant in those days. It still is. I haven't been there since. But, but it's, it's a very exclusive place. And you could get permission to go on special occasions to that restaurant. The college would let you go if you followed certain parameters and so on. And so I'd gotten permission. I said, we, we can go to the Fireside Inn. Well, she agreed to do that. So she came up and I, we, we drove to the Fireside Inn. And it was everything we'd heard about. We Other kids had been there, told us how great it was. It was. It was a beautiful place. Just a perfect atmosphere. Food was fantastic. We probably spent maybe close to two hours there. and Just enjoyed that evening together and got back in the car and driving back. We got back to Watertown. I took a little detour and we went down some streets to Riverside Park, a place where I played a little football. Pulled under a street lamp and I shut off the car and she looked at me like, what are we doing? I said, I, I, I have a question. I said, uh, will you marry me? She laughed. <laughs> That's not a good omen. She laughed. <laughs> she said, when? When we're 85. I mean, we had been dating three and a half years. We were the brunt of every joke on campus. You guys are going to date your whole life. You'll never get married. I said, no, I was thinking... Maybe this summer. She looked at me like, what kind of a cruel joke is this? And I reached in my pocket. I was going to do this at the restaurant, but I chickened out. (laughs) And I pulled out a small square white box. I removed the cover. I took out a diamond ring. She said, yes. She's wearing that ring. 46 years later. Now how did she know in December that I was willing to commit the rest of my life to her? When four months earlier, when she said, do you love me? I said, I don't know. How'd she know? The ring. The ring. In Western culture, the ring is a symbol of commitment, is it not? It costs a lot of money. <laughs> that ring cost me a hundred dollars. <laughs> now you were laughing, but gas was twenty-eight cents a gallon. I was working construction jobs hanging drywall for a dollar ten an hour, ninety-seven cents after taxes. I got saved at age 15 at camp. Monday through Saturday camp. Six days of camp. You know how much it cost when I was 15 years old to go to camp for a whole week? $13. $13. You can't feed that boy right there one meal for $13. It's a different day. That ring represented commitment. Hey, you know what God's saying to us today? Show me the ring. Hey, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're singing, my Jesus. I love you. I hear it. I heard your prayer. Lord, I love you. I I heard it. but The Bible says, my little children, let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. God is saying, show me the ring. Do you love me more than these? If so, this week, show God the ring. Show it to him in your home. Show it to him at work. Show it to him when he tells you to take the next step in your Christian life. Show it to him here at church. Show him the ring. He's looking for a commitment. You're going to be able to reach for those things that are before you, but only with a commitment of love for the one who committed everything for you. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, Check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Find New Life. Have an amazing day.